Welcome to Smarter Manufacturing, the podcast where we solve the manufacturing equation, connecting materials, processes, systems, and talent for a smarter manufacturing future. We are brought to you by Lyft, the Detroit-based Department of Defense-supported nonprofit public-private partnership driving American manufacturing into the future through technology and talent development. Join us at lyft.technology. Welcome back to another edition of Smarter Manufacturing. My name is Joe Steele, Senior Director of Communications and Legislative Affairs for Lyft, the National Manufacturing Innovation Institute where technology and talent matter. Uh, speaking of technology, today we are joined by Matt Replenovich, Director of Business Development and ATC Materials, one of our newest members at the Institute. Matt, good morning, how are you? Doing well, good morning, Joe. Thanks for taking time to, to join us today. Uh, so I mentioned ATC was one of our uh, most recent additions to the Lyft uh, Institute, our, our membership roster. Um, tell us a little bit more about ATC. What is it you guys do? Where are you located? What is the story behind your company? Sure. Uh, well, so ATC is a small business and we're headquartered uh, just outside of Cleveland in Westlake, Ohio. And company was actually founded in 1996. Though what we were working on then is significantly different than what we're working on now. I think it was uh, an evolutionary process that got us to, to the products and the capabilities that we have today. And that's two main product areas. So we actually work quite a bit in armor and our specialty in armor is modeling and simulation and production of armor specifically for insensitive munitions. So that is protecting energetics uh, in logistical and tactical configuration. So, I guess the simple way of saying that is we're keeping uh, missiles and other munitions safe uh, until they're ready to be used. So we make uh, transport containers, uh, inserts and applique armor uh, for um, missile containers, rocket launchers, things like that. Uh, and the other half of the business, uh, and they did both evolve out of a, a common ancestor that they share nothing in common with anymore. The other half of the business and what brought us to Lyft is our high temperature materials or high temperature dielectric materials. So these are materials that are designed specifically for survivability at very high temperatures, but while also maintaining radio frequency transparency. So that just means that sensors and communications equipment can see through them and they serve as a, uh, an aperture or a window or a radome on flight vehicles. And the specific interest that brought us to lift is hypersonics. So. Uh, you can imagine that uh, missiles flying at Mach 5 or greater generate a tremendous amount of aerothermal heating, uh, so they get very hot. And they also, of course, have uh, G-loading and uh, other forces acting on them. So our materials serve as the, as the window, which protects the sensitive electronics behind them, but remain uh, transparent to the communications through them. Uh, and that actually happens at our, our small facility in Arizona. Uh, we had a program uh, with a partner out in Arizona, and uh, we found uh, a few scientists out there that were willing to work with us. So we started our own lab out in Arizona, which is where uh, those materials were developed, although we are uh, working to transition and bring some more of that production back to our Ohio headquarters. That is, uh, that is, that is a lot, and I can certainly enjoy hearing about the, uh, the evolution, because uh, as folks who know Lyft know that we've undergone an evolution of our, of our own as we explored more you know, materials, processes, and, and systems. But I'm interested a little bit in the, the windows that you're, you're talking about. Was it a matter of those had to have existed before or is it just a matter of those materials that can handle both going that fast and being able to be uh, transparent to be able to, or transparent in the sense that they can communicate? Uh, how, did that, how did that come about? 
Right. So uh, I guess sort of the, the two sides of that is ATC's initial offerings uh, involved uh, thermal protection systems and, uh, and some other dielectric materials for, for much lower temperatures. Uh, so mm -hmm. up to maybe 400 degrees Celsius or so. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as we evolved our capabilities, of course, the, the needs of the customer, which is in our case, DOD services, uh, they also evolved. So it's a, it's a number of things. I think there's, there's more communication, more information that's transmitted on the fly uh, to these uh, weapon systems. Yeah. And there's also, uh, the performance increases. So they want to fly faster and farther, and that puts more demands on the uh, environmental conditions which they operate in. So, uh, and also as that happens, the methods of communication and, and targeting in some cases has changed as well. So there are optical sensors. So I think that uh, many people might be familiar with some of these uh, missile systems. You might see a missile on the wing of an aircraft or a helicopter and it has a clear dome in the front for uh, optical or infrared transmission through those. Um, now some of these are going to radio frequency. So we say transparent, we mean that they can, can they, there's lossless communication through them at a set frequency. They're not optically transparent. So if you look at them, they might be white, they might be gray. You can't, you can't see through them with the eye, but the, uh, the sensor or the seeker can. So it's as the performance requirements have become elevated, uh, both in terms of the physical performance of the of the system that they're they're attached to. So it's again faster, farther, uh, but also the data transmission that has to happen. So the amount of information, the rate of the information means that the frequencies uh, have changed a little bit as well. So we need to have more bandwidth through them. And that's where the material sort of evolved. So we were, we were lucky in that um, we had some materials that were sort of in process that were uh, able to be fine-tuned to meet some of these requirements as, you know, as a small business, a lot of, you know, we wish we could say that everything we did was a, was, was planned and it was a, a strategic maneuver that was planned out on a whiteboard and this is what we were going to go to. But a lot of it is just when we were making a material A, uh, the customer said, well, what if you made it just a little bit better? What if you did this? And it was really an evolution and we were lucky to work with some great customers and also have access to some institutions and some, some other things here in Cleveland, like NASA, uh, that, that helped push us uh, towards the direction that ultimately became hypersonics. Well, that's awesome. Uh, can, can you talk a little bit about, I mean, one of our, one of our missions as an institute and, and the rest of the institutes is to help support small companies like yours kind of grab a foothold um, and so we can maintain and, and build up the U.S. manufacturing base um, was it a challenge to to work with the, the the federal government, or or how did how did that uh, how did that come come to be? Because it can be overwhelming, it can be bureaucratic, it can be challenging to to kind of get a, a foothold in there. Was it uh, creative in the in, in the sense of the the work that you had going on, or was it uh, uh, connection you guys were able to make? How did how did that actually come to be? Just so our other SMEs out there that are listening might be able to to hear a story, I guess, about a, a, a small company that had some success. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think um, no company uh, uh, does, or I, I might say should, go after the markets of armor or uh, government contractor. That's, those are both really difficult for a small business <laughs> and they have their own challenges. And certainly right. the materials does as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, that if you get good at it, you can uh, 
uh, it, I mean, it certainly it, it can help you out quite a bit because they're not business to business transactions. And I think that's the really the most difficult part is that the way that you grow the business is a lot different in that um, you, you don't have uh, just an exchange of here's a part and here's a check or a purchase order. And then, yeah. and then your, your transaction is completed. There's an enormous amount of time in cultivating relationships because these programs that we're developing materials for, we are not selling a commodity. We are trying to engineer a, a, a either an armor system that has to integrate into a, a vehicle or a launcher or something else. And it may be a legacy equipment that they never allocated space or weight for, or on this case of our RF materials, which is again, you know, the kind of the, the hot item uh, at ATC right now, um, it's, it's emerging technologies. We're not displacing an incumbent material because there are no fielded systems right now. So you have to get involved as, as us, as a material supplier, we have to get involved with the folks that are designing the antennas, the folks that are designing the vehicles, the folks that are doing the integration to make certain that our material meets all of their requirements and can get specced into the system. And that takes an incredible amount of time. And of yeah. course, the, the, the difficulty for us is, is really kind of two things is one is all of these things start with engineering, but the engineers aren't necessarily the ones that write the contracts uh, or rarely are. So right. there's often people who are interested, but don't have a budget. Or if you find the budget, finding a way to receive the money. And that's that's uh, the part that's the probably one of the biggest challenges for a small business, which I think we didn't realize at the start. I came into ATC a little bit later, and it's been something that I've been working on a bit, is even if somebody has money, they they can't just hand it over to you. There are yeah. uh, all sorts of contracting requirements uh, from sole source justification and, and whatnot uh, to, to legally give you the money, but then also just establishing the vehicle uh, that allows them to give you the money. So in the case of, you know, we were pretty lucky with a couple, uh, a couple contracts that were written for us and we did have sole source justification, but it takes, even once the decision is made, it can take a year uh, to get the yeah. contract um, and a lot can change in that time. So I think that's where, Certainly working in the SBIR and STTR environment can help because those can offer some justification uh, to the purchasing agents for uh, sole source justification, uh, but also, you know, working with groups like Lyft and otherwise uh, that can sort of um, uh, offer, I don't want to say be the middleman, but essentially that have control over some of the budget that can then pass it on to the companies that are really doing the innovative work. Uh, and, and really coming up with the new technology. So it's, uh, you know, balancing that and navigating that's been as challenging as developing the technology in some cases. I, I believe it. I'm, I'm glad you, that was a really good answer because uh, it, it is about uh, relationships uh, and it does take time to, to build those out. Like you said, it's not a simple uh, transaction. And, and uh, uh, thank you for mentioning Lyft. I was going to a shameless plug uh, for for us as an organization we are you know we we do help enable we have a number of contracting vehicles with the federal government able to to help get things on contract as you mentioned that is one of the more challenging things that folks may not think about when they're trying to get into uh that business and certainly something we can we can help with especially if you're talking about a small medium-sized company doesn't have a whole um cadre of people that have are contracting experts or have the the bandwidth or time or expertise in, in trying to get that done. So thank you for, uh, for mentioning that. That's uh, I, I always love stories when people are successful at doing something and they're like, well, don't do it my way. <laughs> it's not, not the most recommended way to do it. Yeah. But it's kind of the way you have to, um, because if you have a technology, you just have to go forward with it. And right. 
certainly developing some more commercial applications is great, but when you know, I think one of the comments is always that uh, you know commercialization is a, a hundred or a thousand times discovery, right? So you can come up with something and prove that it generally works, but then how do you take it to market? And right. when you have something that is as unique as what we have, there's very few customers for it in this uh, in these sorts of applications, and we don't have the bandwidth to chase after every single one of them. So, exactly. uh, yeah. so this is this is kind of the direction that we're headed, and this is the wave that we have to catch right now. If we don't right. if we don't uh, act on the hypersonics uh, development right now, we're going to miss it. So, uh, for better or worse, this is where we're at. Uh, we really believe in it, and we're we're thankful to have the supporters that we do. But yeah, it's tough, and uh, yeah. it takes it takes a lot of work. That's not just engineering in order to make this work. Right, and that's actually where I wanted to go next because you know, we talked about our evolution as, as an institute and where we've kind of landed in terms of uh, materials processing systems and, and that led us to working with hypersonics. I can tell people about how we landed on that, but people have, have heard about hypersonics. It's, it's all the discussion now. Why is this so important? And how did you determine that that was the, the wave, as you mentioned, that that you needed to uh, to jump onto? Sure, um, well, so so our involvement with it i think it's might be inappropriate to call it accidental but it certainly when when these materials were originally developed it wasn't for this purpose specifically but because they had excellent high temperature and excellent thermal uh, um, thermal shock resistance and uh, the dielectric properties it made sense to evolve it to meet this emerging market uh, because no one else was doing it so there's there's tons of materials that can survive or maybe not tons there's many materials that are great at any one of those areas. There's yeah. not too many that converge uh, to, to meet all of them. And it is going to be a very, very small market. The, the amount of hypersonic vehicles that are expected to be, be produced is maybe in the hundreds. So the different companies that are established as technical ceramics or dielectric materials, uh, commodity companies, they this is a pretty small area for them, but it's a great place for a small business because it's low volume, highly engineered, high value parts. That's good for a small company. Mm -hmm. So so that's kind of why it made sense for us to continue down that path. Um, and just why that exists, uh, I mean, hypersonics has been talked about for 50, 60 years or more, um, but it, it, I think there's a couple of different things that have happened is that number one, the technology just in general, because it's propulsion, it's structural materials, uh, and then of course, you know, navigation and, and sensing. Um, but the thing has to fly first before it needs to know where it's going. So there was a lot of work that needed to be done to, to prove that the vehicles work. And it was something that historically has kind of started and stopped and started and stopped and never had the, the continuing funding and support to to make the vehicles a reality and i think a lot of it and and certainly the the current pressure is because uh, other countries have or at least claim to have fielded solutions right now so where the us has a handful of different hypersonic programs in development and a few different different levels of tests that have been completed um, other countries have again have or at least claim to have uh, capabilities that exceed exceed the U.S. right now. So that's a big reason why it's a push now because people feel like they're behind and they're trying to catch up a little bit. So right, right. you know, to be honest, uh, you know, as we're pretty far down in the chain, so we have just general public knowledge of, of right. what's out there, and certainly we're we're a little more interested in it and try to keep keep an eye on things, you know, more than maybe. Uh, uh, just reading the newspaper, but um, as far as where we're at in com 
comparison to you know peers and and uh, in the world, it's hard to say. Um, but that's really that's really just as it's emerged now that other people are 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 working hard at this. That's really ramped up the interest in the U.S. Right. One more thing. Can can you talk a little bit about the um, the, I, the just the materials aspect of this and and how? I mean, obviously, we're talking about vehicles and and systems that are going. You mentioned Mach five or faster, which is you know really really fast. Um, uh, so the importance of, of modeling and, and simulation uh, and, and maybe does that level the playing field to allow us a small and medium-sized company to get into that uh, game because they're not necessarily making things. They're, they're you know, modeling and simulating things virtually. Uh, uh, I could be wrong, but, but uh, is that at all uh, the case? And, and uh, how important is it to have that modeling uh, and simulation capability? Because certainly that's an area where, where Lyft plays as well. Yeah, I think it's absolutely necessary, and it does open up opportunities for 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 all sorts of companies to 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 find to find a little place in the market, uh, both in terms of providing the service uh, as well as evaluating their product offerings. So, um, because there are very few or very few or no test beds really available uh, as as uh, actual flight demonstrators. Right. Um, you have to simulate things uh, because there's not there's not really another option. And the sort of uh, physical tests that are available are all representative, but not exact. So you can do uh, laser heating and you can do some arc jet and some some other different sort of wind tunnel and approximation things. Uh, but all of them are going to have some concessions to ground based testing that do not fully replicate the environmental effects of the trajectory of the flight vehicle. So in that case, the simulation helps quite a bit, but we're also simulating something that's a bit unknown, right? So we don't exactly know what the, the final trajectories might be or the, the aerothermal heating or different things like this. So I think it's great as a screening test and it's great to establish boundaries that it needs to be, it needs to survive at least this temperature or at least this G loading or something like this. Mm -hmm. um, but until some more things are out there and are, and are serviceable and are flying, uh, we have to also sort of relate those, uh, the modeling simulation efforts to the lab style tests that are available and, and develop a correlation to prove that it's relevant. Um, yeah. So it's tough all the way around and especially because the actual uh, expected flight regime or the trajectories are not something that's available to just you know every any small business out there so it's right. tough all the way around but i think it does uh it is necessary to provide some credibility and it is necessary to screen out um things that just absolutely won't work so it, it's very important to do it's very important to develop but i think for us what we can use it for more than anything is uh, the evolution of our material so mm -hmm. we're going to leave it not entirely up to our customers but largely up to our customers to do the acceptance tests and the qualification tests, because that's at a level that we just can't approach. Um, but what we can do is we can use that modeling and simulation to identify ways to make our material better. So we have, again, a general, uh, general material that's used in these applications, but there's things we can do to change the chemistry and to change the processing of the material to improve its performance in one or more areas. So we can make it uh, a little bit stronger. We can change the dielectric. We can change the thermal um uh, uh transmission or the um uh, like through plane versus in plane 
uh, heat conductivity and different things like this. And we can prove uh, or at least uh, suggest the potential improvements through modeling and simulation. And that's really useful to us uh, to sort of drive the next generations of materials to see how we can identify weaknesses and uh, show how these improvements could be used uh, in the field. I should have mentioned that early on that uh, you and HCC materials were one of the uh, one of the uh, winners, I guess, or recipients of our one of our um, hypersonics challenge uh, awards uh, working with the DoD on on solving some of these problems and that goes back to the RF materials that we spoke about we spoke about earlier so uh, so uh, so thank you for for that and, and we certainly appreciate uh, your support in uh, helping you know move the the needle forward on hypersonics and materials um, anything else coming down the road that you can talk about related to ATC or is this your 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 main focus right now anything else we uh, missed yeah I mean this is absolutely the main focus right now just because of the the timeliness of it. And we do have a number of programs going in multi-service support uh, to, to complete some additional material qualifications and validation uh, testing. Uh, number one for us, and as a small business, is, is proving manufacturability. Um, so this is, this is one of the other concerns, of course, with any small business, is that, uh, of course, any government agency is going to be reluctant to give a major contract or a sole source contract to a small company unless you can demonstrate that you can make the material um, every time they ask for it it's going to be the same each time they receive it so so that's the big the big push for us right now is um, maintaining the performance and just increasing our capacity to supply our, our customers um, and that's that's really important and that's that's really the the big goal and the big item that we're working on right now um, and the focus on the material side really is hypersonics, though we do maintain our other low temperature materials for uh, some select customers and some other prototype uh, work that, that we're doing there. And then, and the other part is, is armor. So, you know, we that's not part of our, our program with lift, but that is the other half of the business. It doesn't use any of the right. same materials, uh, but we do continue to do some, some prototype work as well as uh, some small production work again for our insensitive munitions protection and we've actually just this past year uh, passed some uh, validation tests uh, with the army and are looking forward to continuing that program here in the spring and summer very good well keep up the good work uh, we appreciate your membership again appreciate all the work you're doing with us um, and our ecosystem so is there a website where folks can uh, can look up uh, atc materials and and uh, learn a little bit more yeah, absolutely. I guess that's one of the other items that we've been hard to work at since we've we've got a little more attention. The website's really been uh, neglected, but at atcmaterials.com, and we're uh, actually just going through some some final revisions right now. It should be a brand new one up real soon. Awesome, awesome. Well, people can uh, can check that out and look forward to a new one. And Matt, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. And and yeah, as I mentioned, keep up good work, and we look forward to uh, to doing some of that work with you. Yeah, absolutely appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, we'll talk to you soon. For more information on Lyft and how you can become a member, visit us online at www.lyft.technology.